This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. All right. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Smooth Operations. I'm joined today with our very special guest, Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And he's also the creator of the Brain Bump app, which I've been playing around with for the last couple of days. So Mark helped start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program and also teaches at MIT At Harvard Business School, he helped create a platform that's used to teach finance at prominent business schools. And he also works with many nonprofits, currently serving on the board of Plant a Million Corals. Thanks for joining me, Mark. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So if we could begin, if you could share a little bit about yourself and what brought you to write this book. Sure. I've had this very interesting dual career. I came out of MIT back in the mid-90s, back during the dot-com era, and I started as a software engineer. I knew early on that I wanted to be a CTO, a chief technology officer, the person in charge of the engineers. What I quickly realized was that to be the CTO, it wasn't just about being the best engineer. Sure, I needed to be very strong in that skill set, but there were a number of other skills I would need. Leadership negotiating, communicating, team building, all these other skills no one ever taught me. We don't have classes on this in high school or in college. We just assume you kind of pick it up somehow, but most of us don't. So I recognized I needed to develop these skills in myself. And as I began to do so, I realized these skills are not just for the executives. They are for everyone on your team. Your whole company is better off when everyone has these skills. So I began to upskill my team. Now, I went on and I've been part of a number of different startups. I do typically tech startups. I've been companies of three to 300,000 people because I've helped some Fortune 500s who wanted to play startup. I've created classes at MIT and HBS. And the way I did that in parallel, because that seems a little different, is as I was upskilling my team, MIT had recognized the need for these skills across all our students. Because companies were saying, we want to see these skills. And by the way, the companies saying this, they don't just mean in MIT students or in college grads. They're saying everyone, but we could only address our students. So MIT was pointing out this program. I heard about it. I reached out and said, I've got some material. I'm happy to give it to you. And instead, they said, well, yes, thank you. But why don't you help create more and help teach? So in parallel to my career building and scaling startups, I've been teaching at MIT's Career Success Accelerator for close to two decades, for a little over two decades, in fact. And a few years ago, I said, you know, we want to reach more people. Let me turn this into a book because not everyone can take a class at MIT. And that's what put out the book and the subsequent apps. That's so fascinating. I love that, you know, it wasn't just learn this at the college, learn this at the university. It was companies saying, we want to scale from within. We want to grow these skill sets from within. And as a team leader myself, it's always been, I'm always looking for those opportunities with my own team. Like how can I continue to bring professional development? Even if it's just me teaching them something in kind of a, kind of an offhanded way, just like throwing together a training. That's really fascinating. And and so glad to see it at the institutional level too, where, where we're constantly elevating our, our employees. 
Well, let's talk about how you can do it at your organization, because there's a lot of books out there. I mean, I think my book's pretty good, but I'm not going to say this is the only book. There's plenty of great books on leadership, on networking, on negotiating. But how do you actually go from the book to upskilling people? And so one of the things that you get on my website, I give away everything for free other than the book where people who print it seem to like getting paid for it, but everything else I give away for free. And on the resources page of the careertoolkitbook.com, there's a whole bunch of free things you can get. The very first is the Career Toolkit Development Program. And let's talk about how you can upskill not just yourself, but your whole team. I give away this program completely free. There's no cost. When you think about these skills, these skills are different than how we learn other knowledge. When you learned a formula in math class, the teacher said, here's a formula, memorize it, we'll do some example problems. If you're learning how to use a social media tool, oh, here's how to use Twitter, here's how to post, here's how to edit. Okay, great. It's knowledge. You memorize it, that's it. You know exactly where to apply your knowledge of how to create a Twitter post. But when it comes to these other skills like leadership, there's no memorize these three things and you're a leader. There's no simple formula. There's also not an obvious time. You know exactly when to use your knowledge of Twitter posts. You don't know when do I need to use my leadership skills? Well, I need to use it in 10 minutes or not. And so these skills, the way we want to learn them, it's more akin to how we learn sports. You wouldn't say, hey, I'm putting together a basketball team. I'm going to send you all to a two-day basketball clinic and you're done. That's it. No more training the rest of the season. We just go and play. And yet that's what we do with our training. If you're lucky, you get a two-day leadership clinic and that's it. But really, just as in sports, what do we have to do? What well, we have to keep scrimmaging. We have to run drills. We might even watch the tape and review and reflect. That's how we want to learn these skills. And so in this program, I talk about how you can develop it across your organization. What you want to do is create small learning pods. Typically, they should be about five, six people in size. You could do a little smaller or larger. And if you really want to scale it up, I talk about how you can do that. But you create these learning pods of people, ideally from different groups, not just all your marketers in one group and all your engineers in another. You want that diversity of opinions. Then what you do is you take some content. Now, yes, you can use my book and you can say, oh, we're going to, for this session, use these 10 pages. And next session, we'll do different 10 pages. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book use an article, use content online, use a great podcast like this one. You all listen to the episode and then discuss it. The point is you get some initial content and then we come together and talk about it. And if we're talking about leadership, you're going to share what you got out of that section. We say, oh, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. I saw this, but, you know, it's helpful to see your perspective. We're going to get these different ideas because there's no one answer. There's no magic formula or number. And by getting these different perspectives, we really deepen our understanding, we broaden it. Now, we also help do that reinforcement because instead of having, well, I did that leadership training two years ago, you're getting it, let's say, once a month or every other week. You're coming together for just 30 to 60 minutes. So you're helping keeping it top of mind. You're reinforcing it, just like you do regular practices for your sports teams. But you get some other advantages too. So obviously you're upskilling your entire team, which is fantastic. You are also fostering your internal networks. 
you're helping people meet other people in other departments. That might be if you're a team of 10, you all know each other. But as you get to be a larger company, this is so important to meet people in different groups to get those different perspectives. You are also creating employee engagement. Today, especially, we know in a tight labor market, employees aren't just driven by money. Yes, make sure you pay competitively, but they want to know you care about them. You're saying, look, it's not just you get a paycheck for this. We care about upskilling you. We care about training you, helping you grow. Employees really like that. So you engage your employees. And then finally, you're creating a common language. So if, for example, you use the book, Good to Great, very popular classic business book. And if we all did that book, then at the end, I can say to you, oh, well, let's apply the hedgehog model. And you say, oh, I know exactly what you mean, Mark, because I've read the same book and I get that. So we create this framework, this language that makes it easier to communicate. So by doing this program, then again, completely free, you can use my book if you want, but no obligation to do so. You are upskilling your employees. You are fostering internal networks. You are creating employee engagement and you are creating a common framework to help communications. All of this completely free. And I love that, especially from this new job paradigm where we're in, where I'll be honest, I don't know a single CEO that has an office. We're all remote. Like every one of my friends in my network, none of us are internal. So you want to talk about building those inter-team relationships and that common framework, those common languages, those aren't happening at the water cooler because it doesn't exist when you're a virtual remote company, but you're providing the opportunities to be away from uh, the leadership. And and that, that was actually a question I had. When you're setting up these learning pods, is that like, I would set it up as the operations manager and then let them do what they let them run it? Or will I be like in the group with them? Do you recommend leadership is there or kind of let them be on their own? Great question. And there's different ways you can go. I talk about in the guide that you can download for free. Here's the options. Here's how to think about it. Do what's right for you. Certainly, we said you want people from a diverse set of teams. And by the way, if you're a small company, if you're saying, well, look, we're only six people, well, find another small company and say, let's kind of cross-train our people. We'll get your perspectives, some of our guys, and some of ours with yours. And that's great. You can do it with people outside your company too. Obviously, don't share proprietary information. <laughs> but now when it comes to people from different levels, here's where you have to be a little more sensitive. Because imagine if you have some vice president with 25 years of experience and some junior person with two years of experience. The dynamics can be a little awkward. That younger person might defer to the more experienced person. And that's not what you want. You want engagement. So I recommend generally try to keep at the same roughly experience level. That might not be possible in a small company. You're going to have to mix a bit, but you definitely don't want very senior and very junior. You certainly don't want a manager and a subordinate in the same group because that yeah. dynamic is too awkward. If you're at a big enough company, you might even say, hey, all first-level managers, you're in one of these first-level manager pods. And all second-level managers, you're at this level pod. So you can really scale it that way. There is one potential other way to do it. You can cut this orthogonally. Instead of saying, this is our group, and we're going to go through a series of books or podcast episodes on different topics, you might say, we're going to create a standing group and we see this in larger companies, I can do this. This is our negotiations group. And it just meets 
every other week for the year. You come in for a few months when you say, I want to improve my negotiation skills. Six months later, three months later, you say, okay, I'm, I'm feeling better. Now I'm going to go focus. I'm going to join the communication group. And so you'll have people shifting in and out of the groups. Now for that in particular, because you'll get a larger diversity of levels, you probably want more formally run by someone from HR who can say, let's make sure we're hearing from everyone. In terms of in, in the traditional group where you're, you're mixed and doing different things, if you feel the group's experienced enough, they can be self-directed. In other companies, they may have someone from HR or an experienced moderator kind of running the group just to make sure it's moving forward. But it's totally up to you with what works for your organization. Very cool. I, I like those suggestions. Those are all really good. I'm taking down notes as fast as I can here. Um, and the other part I really like about that is if it's that recurring meeting, it, it's that other bugaboo I have about virtual teams where we feel a lot of people like, oh, we don't have to meet. We have Slack. No, you have to meet. There's a different dynamic happens in this face-to-face. And most of us have been doing the Zoom thing so long. It feels like we're right in the same room at this point. I'll be completely honest. Uh, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. That's just my opinion at this point. <laughs> But by having it be routine, like you establish that cadence, you establish that rhythm, that routine for your team members, which in virtual teams is just hard to get. Um, so I really love all of that, all of those those various ways of employing this and, and really building your team up. And what you're really doing in many ways is like you're building your next level of leadership. You're building your future leaders. So you're truly ascending people up as the company grows. You don't have to go look for a senior manager, you're, you've been training one for two years. Exactly right. You can say, if these are the skills we're going to need, we need someone with this skill set in six months in a year, well, let's look at each of the skills. Let's map out six skills, 10 skills, whatever they are. Now we're going to train people up over the next six or 12 months. You can say, oh, Mark's book will help, or this other person's book, her book will help. Find the resources that addresses those skills and start to train people up. Now, I've mentioned using sources like books and podcasts. You can also do things like case studies that you can get from business schools, role-playing exercises. You can bring in outside facilitators. There's other ways you can do this. But the idea is you've identified these skills, and now you're creating a free training program to get your people to where you need them for the company to grow. Love that so much. And if if uh, the listeners out there happen to have subordinates under them, um, you know, one of the biggest questions I always have from subordinates is like, Adam, I want to move up. I want to, I like this job and I really want to move to the next level. Like how can an employee make themselves uh, like noticeable or like give that, like what can we tell our employees of how to, improve themselves and, and what they should do to be progressing with the company? Great question. It begins by being clear on career plans. Now, chapter one of my book is how to create a career plan. We all need one. Even if you're the founder CEO, you need a career plan. Your job title might not be changing from one year to the next, but you need to figure out how to grow and develop yourself. And people should be open about this. One of the taboos is that if you're my subordinate and we talk about you know, where do you want to be in a few years, if five years from now you're thinking you want to be at a different company, oh, you, you can't say that. Oh, how dare you? I'm going to fire you today. No, let's be honest. You're going to be somewhere else. I'll probably be somewhere else in five years. 
this is okay. It's okay to have these conversations. In fact, one of the things I tell my employees is if you're ever thinking of leaving, let me know because I'll see if I can address whatever's causing you to leave. But in other cases, I had one guy who gave me the heads up. He said, hey, my wife's going to grad school. We're leaving in six months. <laughs> Nothing can do to keep me. This is long before virtual was an option. And I said, okay, you know, thank you for letting me know. No penalties, no more. Well, you don't get the good projects, but it made my job easier. And so I built up that trust so I can plan and not find out, oh, I'm leaving in two weeks. Sorry. So we have to have that trust relationship. We have to be open. And if we can teach our employees how to create their career plans, then we can have conversations with them, whether it's at the annual review or other times, say, okay, let's talk about where you want to go. Well, if here's where you want to be in three years and five years and 10 years, I recognize that might not be here and we can talk about it as we get closer, but you want to be at this level. Well, here's the skill gap because here's the skills you have today and here are the skills you're going to need and we're, we're missing some. So let's see how we can train and develop you. Now, some of those might be great. I want you to have these because you'll do better in your current job. Some, maybe it's not helping your current job, but just as I compensate you with money, I'm going to compensate you with training as well, because that makes you happy and makes you want to stay. But if we're not open about talking about our careers and the skills and development, we can't do that. If, if you're not happy with your money, if I'm paying you 50,000, you want 60, and we don't talk about it, you're just unhappy, I don't know it, and then you leave for another job. The same thing's true here. If there's skills you want to develop, and I don't know about, I can't help you develop it. You get frustrated, you go on. So let's build that trust and have open conversations about where we want to go in our careers. I love everything about that because it's, you know, we, we talk about retaining high quality talent and like, make sure you pay them right. Make sure you're giving them their vacation. This is like much higher level on Maslow's hierarchy. Like make sure you're meeting their needs, their fulfillment, their their dreams, their goals, not just uh, did they get a vacation this year? That's important too, but it's it's that much higher level and the commitment you're going to get back from your from your team, you're going to get it back threefold from, from my experience. And, and is that your experience as well? Absolutely right. There are some people who are just working for a paycheck. You do the job and we'll give you money. They're generally not going to be your most motivated people. The ones who are your super motivated people, the ones who are the high growth people, they're not just in it for the money. And their own development is really important. So that's how we have to compensate them to what they need. So good. All right. I have one. I have a question about this because it's it's become such a bad thing in these last couple of years of the work-life balance, especially with remote companies, like what balance is there? Um, and I have to ask this question for me because I've been the most guilty person of it. Um, so we do have some employees, they enjoy that flexibility, being able to work whenever they want, um, work in different time zones, you know, have time off during the day, whereas others do want that more like stable nine to five. But with this fractured job market we're in and these kind of ambiguous working environments we're in, like how how can we set those like expectations of work hours, play hours, off hours? As a manager, it's it I feel like there's no right answer no matter which way I go. The only you're right, there's no right answer. The wrong answer is not to have an answer. 
let's consider a more traditional example. Let's suppose you're, you're all in the office. We're going to take a non-virtual example to start. Now, there's something that would happen that we never talked about. You might, as your management style, prefer that before someone comes to you with a big idea, that they email you the idea, that they write it all down, they send you a proposal, you can read through it and say, okay, after I've read this, I want you to come into my office and then we'll discuss it. But it's helpful for me to, to really think about it and read through it beforehand. So you want to get the proposals ahead of time. Other people, so I, I hate long emails. If you have an idea, like let's just talk it through. That's much better. Both are perfectly valid styles. But now imagine you have two people. You have a manager and subordinate. And the manager likes to get something written, but the subordinate, that's not her personality. So she comes in and she starts, hey, I got this great idea. And she starts pitching it. And the manager says, okay, I can't, I can't think about this right now. Go write it up. So she feels rejected. He didn't like my idea. Oh, he wants me to do all this busy paperwork that I don't like. I'm not motivated. Idea doesn't happen. Or we can reverse it. She's a manager and he's sending her all these long emails. He goes, oh my God, I don't have time to read this. Why can't you just come and talk to me? Now, again, both are valid, but together, these two styles don't mesh well with each other. And so it's important. We talk about culture, like culture something. Oh, we have these seven values, customer first, blah, blah, blah. Culture is really, hey, how do you prefer to communicate with each other? What are the rules day to day? When we have a disagreement, how do we handle that? Do we vote on it as a team? Do you and I go off and discuss it one-on-one? -on -one? That's what corporate culture really is. And we never talk about this. Now, what would be helpful is if during the interview process, we could say, hey, by the way, I'm a guy who loves really long emails. And you say, I hate long emails. Hmm. Okay. Might be an issue, right? Just like, you know, if we were dating and you said, oh, you know, I love the opera and I love arts. Like, ah, oh, I hate all that. We say, well, there might be an issue. Maybe that's not the right relationship. So the same thing should happen work-wise. Now, let's bring this back to your virtual example that some people like the very structure, nine to five. Others say, no, I want to be able to come and go. Well, let's define what the structure is. Because if you have someone saying, hey, it's 3.30, you should be at your desk because that's what I expect. And you're thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to play with the kids for a couple hours and I'll get back to work later. That's a problem. So as long as you set the expectations, now it might be, hey, we're structured from 10 to three. That's when we know everyone's around. Outside of that, if you're structured, you say nine to five. Other people say, whenever I feel like it. Or you say the expectation is that you are responding to emails within an hour or two hours during nine to five. But outside of that, we don't expect it. If you want to, you're welcome to. So as long as you set those boundaries and we know how to engage with each other, then we can work together. And these conversations need to be had at the hiring stage. It is important for both the company and the candidate to have these discussions. And to help you do that, I have another free resources, the careertoolkitbook.com on the resources page. And it's the questions candidates should ask. And I even have a guide how you can ask this. And I'll, I'll give you, I'll go right to the end, blame me. Because it can be awkward in the interview. It's like, hey, listen, I got a bunch of questions. Like, tell me about how you like to email and have conversations, right? That can feel weird. So what you can do is say, hey, there's this guy, Mark. 
And I read his book or heard him on this podcast and he recommends we go through this stuff. So this way, if they think this is weird, like Mark's the weirdo, not you. And so you're not, you're not taking that risk. So you're welcome to blame me. That's so good. Reminds me of the first time when Slack came out with this new audio feature. Those of you who've been on Slack long enough used to just be text and they came out with this little, you just hit a button and type and say your message. I made that mistake once. I like sent my CEO a message. He's like, dude, you do not ever do that to me again. I cannot work that way. I'm like, okay, lesson learned. The rest of my team loved it. I could do it to, to them. And they were like, yes, it's so much easier than reading everything. CEO was like, no dice. That's <laughs> But I, it's it's just being open about it and like establishing those those communication cadences and like here's what we do here, and I, I do like the idea of like asking that in the hiring process when bringing someone on board. It sounds like if we're talking about like those kind of things plus career plans plus kind of their goals, like all of that's in that initial phase of their employment. If I'm not, unless I'm I'm thinking of it wrong, like we can bring them in under those right pretenses, set them up on their glide path, and really give them momentum during those initial days and weeks in the company. That's exactly right. The earlier, the better. Now, for something like a career plan, it's not one and done. You want to keep revisiting. And even you might notice, I came in thinking we're going to communicate this way by discover just the dynamics of the team, the nature of all the communications we need to have. Maybe it does make more sense to do longer emails. I'm not a fan of it, but I get why it's necessary here. So let's let's change it up a bit. And that's fine, but we want to be intentional and we want to be on the same page of that. So start early, but don't feel what's said in stone. So wonderful. Awesome. I want to switch tracks a little bit here. Um, and when we talk about like soft skills that we don't, we're not actually taught, but we do need to really know. Um, so last week I was at this really major marketing convention in Orlando, like 5,000 people in a room. It was tremendous to get first time out of the office in two and a half years was wonderful um, to be part of this huge convention. How do we put our best forward when we're networking or if we're asking our employees to network, what kind of skills can we help them develop to really represent the company and themselves well? There's a number of concrete specific techniques I give in the book, but here's the key idea. Most people network wrong. There is a great book by Harvey McKay called Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And if you just think about the title, well, that makes sense. I can lay the groundwork to benefit later. And fortunately, when it comes to networking, most people think, oh, I need a job, time to go network, or I need to hire someone, or I need this, time to go network. You're like, hey, stranger, I need a job. Can you help me? Imagine if I met you in a bar tonight and we're hanging out and we have a couple of drinks, I go, hey, yeah, it's been great hanging out with you. So listen, this Saturday, I got to pack up and move my apartment. So why don't you come on over? We had such a great time tonight. Come on over, help me pack my apartment. It's not going to take more than about six hours. How does that sound to you? That's insane. We'd never do that. Who do I call to help me pack up? I call my friend for 20 years. I call my friends from high school. I call people I've known for a while and said, hey, I need your help. Say, wow, this does not sound fun, but you are my friend. We have a relationship. I will help you. But when it comes to networking, people just think, oh, let me go and grab. And so we want to start by building that network, not because I need something today, but because I'm going to build these relationships 
So they are there in the future. And that's how we need to think about networking. So you don't say, oh, I'm going to a conference and my goal is to do this. That salesperson who comes back with 15 business cards an hour, like, oh, he's a great networker. That's not networking. That's step one of a long process. Saying collecting business cards is networking. That's like I'm on a dating app and we both swipe right. Oh, we're practically married. We wouldn't think of that as real dating. And yet that's how we think about networking. So change your mindset to relationship building and recognizing that it will take a while. I'm happy to say I've never swiped right. I was already married before Tinder was the thing. So I, I know the reference, but uh, but great example. And it kind of brought to mind, do uh, you remember the, the show Seinfeld when yeah. Jerry became friends with Keith Hernandez? He's like, he asked me to help him move. That's like going all the way for guys. So it's, and yeah. for my fellow marketers, it's a bit like Ryan Dice. He, he often talks about the way bad marketers do it is, hi, glad to meet you. Let's get married. Like that's how a lot of bad marketers approach sales, where it is a process. So we have to treat networking in that same way of it's relationship building and, and more of getting to know you. Let's go have a drink at, a, at an event like that. That's exactly it. I get so much outreach from marketers, from salespeople with an email, hey, I'd like to network with you to, no, that's not networking. That's you asking me to do something for you, buy your product, take a pitch call, and you're just throwing in the term networking because you think I'll be more amenable to that. When you reach out, one of the best things to do when networking is give before you get. Don't go up and be like, hey, you, here's what I need. No one likes to be approached that way. But we either just start talking, we're at an event, we just start talking, no ulterior motives, and we build that relationship over time, or I reach out and offer you something. So here's an example. I have all these recruiters. All these recruiters keep calling me. It's, oh, CTO, he hires lots of people. Let me just pitch him. I literally get pitched three or four times a day. And of course, I know if I ever do need an agency, I can literally find a dozen of them in about 12 minutes. It's not that hard. So I don't need to invest my time with you today because I know even if I haven't talked to you for three years, if I say, I want to give you money, you'll say, yes, sir. So you're not offering me anything, but you're asking for my time. On the other hand, if they showed up and said, hey, I know you're a busy CTO, I'd like to offer you, here is our analysis of compensation in the last year or six months. Just wanted to give this to you no obligation, nothing. Let me help you. Let me give you something. Think, oh, okay, that was nice. I might ignore it. I might say, I don't need this. But oh, they just gave me something. They didn't ask for anything. And when that happens over time, I start to develop a positive feeling about this particular company. And when I need to say, oh, now I go and have to find a bunch of recruiters, who am I more likely to use? The one who's been giving me things. So think about giving in your relationship building, whether it's formal marketing to your customers or potential customers, or in the relationship building you're doing with people you meet. So fantastic. And even in a leadership role, like you're always looking to, it, it kind of comes full circle. We're looking to bring our people up, put them into leadership positions, and that will necessarily enable or require them to move reach outside the company. We're always looking to our left and right, working with other companies. Like it can be networking with someone that 
is going to provide us our t-shirts for our swag box. I mean, like all these things come into play. And if we're training our employees and our team members on this at a low, low risk level, low threshold level, and they're learning to do it the right way, then when it comes to those higher, those high ticket sales calls, well, geez, we've already set the conditions for them to do things at a very high level. Exactly right. Fantastic. Awesome. So you'd mentioned like you came in during the dot-com era was when you were like really, you were coming into your professional environment. And I feel like we're kind of in this weird area of massive disruption again, unless it's kind of like coming right up on us. Are there any opportunities that you're seeing from your desk that are coming around or what can we kind of expect over these next couple of years? Yeah, that's a, a big question. One of the lessons I learned post.com that I wish I knew then, there's a famous saying, in a gold rush, the best way to make money is to sell shovels. I wish I knew that during .com, but I've seen it subsequently. And so it's not that you're going for the gold. You're saying, oh, I've, I'm the one doing whatever the sexy new thing is. But if I can provide tools, because we don't know which of the companies in this new space will be the winner. But if you're selling tools, you're selling to all of them. And eventually, whoever wins, they'll keep needing your product. So I'd first say, no matter what is happening, think about selling shovels. But recognize as well, when you think about what will those disruptions be, yeah, there's a lot of disruption, but I think disruption is here to stay. We've accelerated the rate of change. What happened in the dot-com era was we went from people really not being, there was no web, to people doing things on the web and a certain new level of accessibility. But we see time and again, when a new social media platform came out, first, oh, okay, here's these weird things, but the people who got on early succeeded and built brands. Now that's not a guarantee. Take for example, Clubhouse. There's a new type of social media channel and people got on early and it's not going anywhere. Maybe we'll have a second life somewhere. There, there are reasons you could see why that wasn't going to go anywhere unless they made some significant changes to their product. But we can see other things happening with, for example, automated driving. This is going to displace literally millions of workers. And so we can see some of these changes coming. Within your own industry, your own role, automated disruption is something you can pretty much guarantee. So what do I mean by that? I'm old enough, I think you are as well, to remember toll booth workers. As we were driving, we needed to stop and give money to someone so we could continue to use the road. And there were literally thousands, tens of thousands of people throughout the US collecting money. Very inefficient. Now we got rid of them and now we all have these electronic passes. We love them because that eliminated the backups of these things. Universally, they're loved with one exception. The people who were working in the toll booths were not happy because it put them out of their jobs. Travel agents, used to be a lot of those. We got rid of them because we can all book online. And we like being able to book online and not having us travel agent, what about this, what about that? But travel agents lost their jobs. All of us have technology slowly eating away at our jobs. And so if you look at what you do and you say, I'm spending time doing rote things, that will eventually be automated. Think about the higher value work you can do 
And that's where, great, automate all the stuff away from me because I don't want to be doing it. I can provide so much more value and therefore ask for much more money by doing this higher order function. So recognize this disruption's coming. You might even say, hey, here's a bunch of stuff I wish was automated. Well, there's a sign of what you should disrupt, a company you should create. But recognize this will happen across all industries and all job functions. It's the second time I've heard that analogy in a week of, you know, in the gold rush, you know, be the guy selling the shovels. Russell Brunson said that last week at this convention I was at. I was like, yep, I've heard that before. But it's true. You know, it, there's so much to be said for that. And I don't think any of us missed the toll booths at all. Plus, we I'm don't carry change why. anymore. So we don't have the change in our car, right? <laughs> true. And with that, our like, I see it as my responsibility as someone who has subordinates, someone who is a leader. Like, I have to be enabling my team to be ready for this disrupt, for disruptions, for things that are changing. And do you think, Moving forward, are credentials going to play as much of a role? Are we going to possibly look towards experiences, portfolios? Like, what's the dynamic going to be? Is it going to be more the informal education or like needing the the letters on our wall from institutions? Really good question. Now, first, you said something very important. I want to commend you for it, that you recognize as a manager, you have an obligation to develop your team. And fortunately, not all managers feel that way, but I feel we do have an obligation that is our responsibility. Now, if someone says, I don't want it, just let me just do my job. Okay, fine. But we as managers have an obligation to help the people we manage, help them today, help them prepare for tomorrow, even if tomorrow is somewhere else. So I commend you for it. And I hope other folks listening recognize this important obligation we have. To the main question you asked about learning and certification. So first, our education system is out of date, not simply because we're not teaching important skills like the ones we've been talking about, but also the belief that you're done with your education at 18 or 22, that doesn't work. We need to continue to learn. Now that might mean every 10 years or so, you go back for some six-month training program. And as a society, we have to recognize you might take six months off between jobs or have some type of sabbatical, and this is normal. And no one's going to say, oh, you haven't worked for six months. It means loans for people who might go to some mini grad school program and need financial support. So we need to really change what we're doing. But of course, you'll have continual learning. And continual meaning maybe every two years, you're taking classes or seminars or doing things. So I do think our education system will change to more of a continual learning, small steps with some big steps along the way. In terms of the certification system, I think that is a phenomenal load of BS. Now, I've seen this happen before. So in my industry, in technology, we started to create all these certifications. I remember way back when I was doing Java software, Java is a language, and Sun, which controlled Java, had all these certifications. You are a certified Java engineer. You're a certified Java architect. And all these different levels, they certify you for these things. Now, if you're doing, I'm going to say, almost grunt level work, okay, that's, that's fine. Dental hygienist, for example. 
It's a very mechanical thing. You either, I don't know how to be a dental hygienist. I don't know what to look for, but the people who do, do you understand? This is plaque. This is not. This is what you scrape. Great. Easy. But when it comes to being a Java architect, a software architect, what they were testing, because remember, they're scaling this to tens of thousands of people. They're saying, do you know what this tool does? Which of these three would you choose and pick? It was like a multiple choice test. Okay, you should know what the tools are and what these things do, but how to think strategically? How do you architect a system to really think through your business needs today and for the next 10 years? That's hard to capture in a test. It's hard to, at scale, check if all these people can do it. And so the certifications are very mechanical. If you look at online courses, from Coursera, for example, and you take the test. I've taken some Coursera things from all these world-class universities, and you're doing effectively multiple choice tests. It tells me you have the knowledge, but not that you have the wisdom. You might know the difference between this is what social media is versus a billboard ad by the side of the road. You can tell me mechanically what each is, but when do you think about, here's a new type of product you're rolling out, why might you use one over the other in a really subtle, interesting case? And it's not clear to me just because you had this class and got the certification that you know how to do that. I need to evaluate it differently. So I am not very excited on certifications. I think they'll continue to get abused and overused. They're fine for lower level, more rote mechanical jobs, but for the higher level jobs that most people listening probably want, I think they're going to be a red herring. Impress us hiring managers. It's if if we're in the hiring process, I think I see it as an opportunity where we can check for that application of knowledge into in in the hiring process. I always use trial tasks when I'm hiring. It's a it's a multi step process to get hired by me, and trial tasks are always part of it. And there's those cr- little critical thinking things. I'm I sneak into my trial tasks to see how they respond because you're looking for that application of knowledge. When I hire, for example, a director of marketing, a VP of marketing, one of the things I'll do, I I don't like to give people big work assignments. I want to respect their time. But as we get to the end stages, I'll say, okay, suppose I gave you a million dollars as your budget. How would you allocate over the next year? And I don't want them to come up with this big formal 20-page plan, but I just want to see why are you putting 60% in this and 20% in that? Let's talk through what are you thinking? Why are you thinking? What are the questions you asked me before you came up with this? That tells me a lot more. That discussion, that conversation we have, that's how I understand how you think. And that's not something you can really get out of a certification. I love that story you told from your book where you were hiring, a, it was a 19-year-old HR intern. She came back with, well, here's the 20 leads I found and they're all ready for you. And it's like, oh my gosh, that'd be like a hiring dream. Yeah, she is still the best candidate I have ever seen to this day. Fantastic. All right, so one last question I always like to end with, um, because we've we've mentioned at least five books in the course of this call, besides your own, um, and I I have half of them, so I need to buy the other half. (laughs) That being said, I'm a huge believer in reading. I believe leaders are readers. My bookshelf is... I'm getting in, I get in trouble every time I ask this question because I go buy stuff at Amazon. But what books have you recently read that you can recommend that anyone in our positions 
take a look at and really dive into? Have a whole list, because if you go back to that resources page, there's two other sections on that page. First, references, books I reference in my own book, if you want to go deeper on a topic. But then there are some other books that might not directly relate to mine, or I didn't happen to mention it didn't fit in, that I recommend. And I've got about 30 different books that I list there and links to their website so you can go find them. So there's a number of books organized by topic there. So rather than give you one or two now, if you go to thecareertoolkitbook.com and go to resources on the menu on the top right, resources on that page, the references and the recommendations will have a whole bunch. And then of course, to remember what you're reading, that's why I created the Brain Bump app so that you can better retain everything that you've read. Oh, you got me in super trouble, Mark. 30 books. I'm gonna have to explain this, but that's okay. Because I don't know, I it's just me. We spend all our time on these digital screens. I like the book. I, I don't do the digital books anymore. And if you're still a digital book, I mean that's everyone's personal preference. But if you're out there listening and you're still on Kindles, they have their place for sure there's a different relationship you have with a physical copy of a book. It's just unparalleled in my opinion, but everyone's a little different. I get that. That's just, if you're anything like me, that's, that's, I found a different relationship. Fantastic. Mark, this has been so fun. Uh, I really enjoyed, got a lot of great tips uh, on continuing to level up because I think, I think we said this a number of times, if we're not continuing to progress ourselves, not continuing to stretch our own skills, our own knowledge, our own application of that knowledge, like what's the point? I mean, that's kind of how I feel. It's like, I never want to be done learning. And um, I, I look forward to taking this into my own teams and uh, letting them know we're having, we're going to have internal training. Oh man, they're going to, I'll let them know it's Mark's fault. So I'll be sure to let them know it's Mark's fault. But uh you can, if you or anyone out there listening uses this, again, completely free. I don't even gate it with an email, so I don't know if you're taking it. I don't know if you're using it. If you're using it, feel free again, touch with me. I'd love to hear how it's going, what's working, what's not working. Please let me know because it's nice to know if I'm able to help people. And if I'm not, well, tell me what we need to do better. But all of it completely free to help you and your team. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. Again, the book is The Career Toolkit. We'll have a bunch of links um, on the show notes for this episode. So make sure uh, to come over there, give give Mark some love, find him, uh, give him a review. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Mark. This has been a ton of fun. And anything we can do in the, in the future, please do shout. And I can't wait for our, our paths to cross again. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.